everyone. I'm Eric D'Souza, and you are listening to Crime Writers of Canada's podcast, where we discuss all things crime fiction with authors from coast to coast. Sometimes we like to experiment and bring on a true crime author, but today we're going to try something different again. Uh, today we have Judy Pence-Jalak, who is a mystery writer, but we, she has also recently published two books on getting published, and we're going to discuss them today. So how are you today, Judy? I'm great. Thanks for uh, asking me to be on. Well, it's a pleasure having you. You just did two webinars for us, but uh, mm-hmm. I thought perhaps uh, we should tell the general public too about these great books. Well, let's start with a bio. A former journalist and magazine editor, Judy Pentshalak is a best-selling author of two mystery series, The Glass Dolphin Mysteries and The Marketville Mysteries, both of which have been published in multiple languages. With a passion for understanding the ins and outs of all aspects of publishing, Judy is also the founder and owner of Superior Shores Press. She has recently published two non-fiction books, Finding Your Path to Publication, a step-by-step guide provides an insider's insight into the world of publishing and self-publishing, the ins and outs of going indie. Judy is a member of many literary organizations, but most importantly, she's a member of Crime Writers of Canada, where she served on the board of directors, and until recently, she was our chair. Judy, uh, when writing nonfiction, the author has to be able to establish their credentials in order to show that they're trustworthy. Um, So let's start there. Why do you feel that you are the right person to write two books on getting published? Okay, well, I've definitely had extensive publishing experience. I was a, a freelance journalist since 2003, and a magazine editor uh, for several different publications from 2005 through to 2018. Um, And I have had um, traditional publishing contract with uh, two different small independent presses. I have my um, book series published through WWL Mystery, which is a division of HarperCollins. And I also self-publish. So I've got a lot of publishing background and I did start my own press in 2018. So I feel like I've got some pretty good qualifications. Um, as a, when I was a newer author, uh, I did what I hope many other authors do is they pick up lots of how-to books and I can't tell you how many I've read. But one thing that I learned relatively quickly is that a uh, how to write a book in and how to publish a book in the States is different than how to write a book in Canada. There's not many differences. Amazon's Amazon in many ways, but there are some differences. So to our Canadian wannabe authors out there, what are the benefits of buying your book as opposed to a generic U.S. book? Well, I think it's because I do at the end of both the books, I have a section titled additional resources. That's about five or six pages of web links. And I do US and Canadian web links. So for instance, uh, for copyright, I have a link to copyright US and a link to copyright Canada. For ISBNs, I have a link to where you would purchase ISBNs in the United States. And in Canada, ISBNs are free. So there's a link to that. Um, I have a link to US tax um, information and a link to Canadian tax information. So, uh, I mean, I think 
just the resources alone are really are really great because they're at least a starting off point for people that aren't really sure um, of what of even where to look for things. You're right. Um, the basic concepts of publishing are the same, you know, like if, if I'm an American author, Canadian author, a UK author, um, you know, I, I would publish my book through um, publishers like Kindle Direct Publishing for Amazon, uh, Kobo Writing Life for Kobo, Barnes & Noble for Nook, etc. So those things, they're the same. But, you know, certain tax documents that you might have to fill out as an American versus a Canadian, those are different. Um, so I try to point out those differences. Uh, and I think that um, and you're right, as a, as a Canadian, a lot of, you know, most things are just geared to American audience. And certainly there is plenty of information for American writers, but I just like to make sure that there was something for Canadian writers. I would have loved to actually include it, you know, information for UK writers and Australian writers, but honestly, you know, at some point you have to say, I can't do it all. So at least I'll do these two countries, right? So new authors, and I'm including myself in this list. Um, before we start, we have this vision that I call the the Ernest Hemingway vision, or we think that all we have to do is write our first novel, you know, sit back, send it off to a publisher, they wave their magic wand, and we become international bestsellers. It's obviously not that way, but we kind of dream of it to be that way, that as authors, all we have to do is write. That's not true. Regardless of your self-published or traditionally published, um, there's more to it than just writing books. So let's start with you. How would you describe your average writing day? Okay, so first, we'll just talk about um, old Ernest. Um, it wasn't really as easy for him as all that either. It's probably why he drank and had all those cats. But um, even traditionally published authors with one of the big five houses, only one in five earn back their advance. So, you know, not too many people earn what I call Stephen King money. Um, and I'm certainly nowhere near Stephen King money. So um, hope springs eternal. Uh, as far as my uh, my own experience, my own personal experience is that I was a journalist for many years, as I said, and I was a magazine editor, and I had developed a really stellar reputation um, as a um, freelance author. I mean, I had a lot of different publishing contracts and, and that sort of thing. And I assumed that that would parlay its way into um, a publishing contract with a book publisher and nothing, nobody cared. Like it was like, oh yeah, that's magazines. Like, well, yeah, who cares about magazines? So it really didn't, did nothing, less than nothing, um, which surprised me quite frankly, because I thought, you know, I thought I'd have an in that other people didn't have, but it, it didn't turn out that way. When certainly I, it taught me a lot about the business. So, I mean, I can't complain about that. It taught me how to be structured, have deadlines, um, and 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 focus on you know what had to be done that day. So it certainly helped me in that and and researching and all of that. But it, it certainly it did not do anything as far as paving the way for future success or failure. So um, my typical writing day it changes every day. Uh, when I left the corporate world in two thousand and three, I did very well in the corporate world. Um, I earned a lot of money and I was like in high management, but I really hated it. And so when I left for the uh, glorified world of freelance writing, which as you can imagine has 
not quite the income level of a corporate manager in the finance field. <laughs> um, I vowed that I would never again work another nine to five day. Um, and so I haven't. I haven't. I work uh, some days I get up at seven and start writing. And some days I don't start writing till seven at night. I, I, I mean, I just I will write every day but I will write at a different time every day. And, and that to me is really important. The, the, in, whenever I would take freelance work, I would say to them, if you want me to be sitting at a desk from nine to five working for you, find another human being because it's not going to be me, right? I've done that. And so um, to me, the creative process, it can't be, it can't be pigeonholed into nine to five, you know, like maybe you're, maybe today you're feeling really creative at nine o'clock in the morning and, but maybe you're not, maybe you're feeling a bit groggy, maybe the night before you had too much wine, you know, you had people over and then you just don't feel it. But maybe later on in the day, you know, all of a sudden seven o'clock at night, you're watching something on TV and you think, ah, oh, that's how I have to do it. And you turn off the TV and you go to your computer and you start writing. No, I have that luxury because I don't have a family and young kids or anything that I have to structure my world around. It's just, you know, I really have to structure my world around myself, my dog and my husband. And my husband's pretty self-sufficient and the dog, you know, does what I say. So I'm pretty lucky. Not everybody has that, but um, that's me. That's my, my way of my, my writing world. Um, Probably about a year and a half ago, I asked your advice on becoming a writer uh, making this like a full-time job. And the advice you gave me was to write every day. Yeah. Do you still believe in that advice? Uh, or Yeah, I do. I mean, and I understand that life gets in the way and it is hard. And, and I've certainly had my share, uh, my share of challenges this last year, especially has been, I've had some challenges, but um, through them all, I have, made an effort to write every day, even if it's only 10 minutes, even if all I've got is 10 minutes. And I, I say to people, you want to write a book. Okay. So if you wrote just one page a day, that's it. Just one page at the end of the year, you had 365 pages. That's a book, right? So it doesn't mean that you have to spend, you know, 10 hours a day laboring over a computer. And as a matter of fact, I wouldn't even recommend that. I like when I'm working on a fiction book, I will set myself a goal, write a chapter a day. And once I've written, and I write short chapters, like 500, 700 words. I'm not one of these long chapter writers because I find them tedious to read, so I don't write them. Um, but I I will write that. And if it takes me two hours, hey, I got the rest of the day myself. And if it takes me eight hours, well, oh, well, sucks to be me. But that's the way I, I structure it. And I, I believe it because it's like anything. If you're reading a book, right? So you read your book and you read a chapter and you put it down and the next day you go on, you read the next chapter and then you put it down. And then two or three days goes by and you don't read because you've got this going on and that going on. So three days later, you pick up the book. You don't remember anything. You got to go back and start reading again. The very same is true when you're writing. You know, you have to stay connected to the story or your project or whatever it is you're working on. And in, even if it's all you have is that 10 minutes and all that in that 10 minutes, all you can do is sort of read over what you did the day before and, and, and write the next line of the, the next chapter, just the opening paragraph, at least you're staying connected so that your brain is still working through because so much of it comes to us 
you know, when we're not on the computer, when we are sitting or we're walking the dogs, that's when these, you know, inspiration strikes, right? It's often not when you wish it would strike. <laughs> often when somebody's telling you something and you think, oh God, how am I going to write that down? <laughs> and they won't notice. <laughs> um, being a writer at from what I learned in your books is also wearing different hats. So it's the marketing oh, yeah. and the networking. Would you also give similar advice to say that you should market and you should network every day, social media or giving yeah. talks at the library? I would say, first of all, a lot of people think if they get traditionally published that they won't have to do that stuff. And that's not true. Those days of, you know, somebody doing all the work for you are, are gone. Even the, the big name authors are, you know, sort of forced to do a lot of their own advertising and promotion and publicity. And um, the further down the food chain you are, like smaller press or self-published, the more you have to do. Um, so I would, you know, it, you definitely have to do it. I try to every day do like some sort of a post or something. But honestly, I I will be honest. If I was not an author, I would have no social media presence, none, because I just find it tiresome. Um, and I very seldom read other people's social media. So I'm not, you know, really, I don't know. I mean, have I ever bought a book because somebody's posted something on, on Facebook to say, buy my book? I don't think so. I bought a book because I've had somebody say, you got to read this book. It's really good. Um, I've done that, but I don't know. So I, I guess it takes a different brain than writing and it can really be a time suck. You know, once you get in and you start, you know, like you start looking at things and before you know it, you spend an hour and you haven't accomplished anything. Right. Um, and there is a fine line um, between, you know, posting about yourself, your books continually to the point where people are just, they're, they're turned off. Right. So I call it enough about me. Here's more about me. Right. And, and those kind of things are, it's ty it's tiresome for people and it's tiresome for you as the author. So I don't know if I would do it every day. I mean, I do post something on Facebook most days, but it's often like a picture of my dog or, you know, where we went for a walk or that kind of thing, because I sort of look at it and think if people can view me as a, a person that they can, might be able to relate to, then when I do, you know, six days later, post something about, a, you know, my something I've written or whatever, maybe they'll feel a little bit more connected because they feel like they know me a little bit. And it's not just every day, you know, and there are some authors every day, it's like, it's a basically another buy my book or look at how good I've done or I have hit another the bestseller or whatever. I don't know. So to me, it's a balancing act. Um, but I, I would, I mean, sometimes you have to spend a bit more time, especially when a book's just coming out. But I really try to limit my advertising marketing stuff to about 10 minutes a day. Like I don't spend a lot of time on it, quite frankly. I'm hoping the books are good enough that they that they kind of market themselves a little bit, <laughs> which hasn't been the case, quite frankly. <laughs> I still <hope. laughs> uh, One thing that you and I have in common, uh, I mentioned that you have your own, uh, you started your own publishing company and I've done the same thing. And one thing you and I both did is we've published anthologies. So it mm -hmm. helps new authors get a name out. Uh, I know personally, I was the first to publish several people who went on to get book deals and I'm very pleased with myself for doing it. But at the same time, unlike you, I did one that said, that's enough. That was a lot of work. 
you seem to enjoy publishing anthologies more than I do. So is there something that keeps drawing you back to that? Well, I mean, my very first publishing credit was a short story in Thema Literary Journal, a New Orleans-based publication, and it was 2003. And I I was just over the moon. As a matter of fact, I just was recently published in Thema's um, fall 2023. So that was really exciting for me because, um, you know, I had this story and I didn't really know what to do with it. And then it, they had, this, they have these themes and I was like, Oh, I think that story fits in. And they, you know, you make 20 bucks or something. It's, it's not a bit of money. Right. Um, anyway. So I, 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 I really felt that that, that publication credit, I'd taken a short, uh, like a creative writing course and written a story in there and then got this publication. Uh, it's sort of set the stage for the rest of my writing life. Right. And then in 2014, like, uh, you know, I, I sort of set aside writing fiction, did all the journalist stuff. In 2014, I started writing sh- stories again, and I got into two different um, anthologies, one through Sisters in Crime, Toronto, and one through Carrot Publishing. And uh, they both came out in December of 2014. And, you know, I went to a book launch and it was really exciting. And I, I just, and I met other authors and I felt like such a superstar, you know, and so I wanted to maybe pay that forward a little bit. So when I started my own publishing company in 2018, I thought I'll I'll try an anthology and I'll call it the best laid plans because it was. And and you know, I had to put up my own money and my own time and and you know, all of that. But and I, and I read a lot of stories and some of them weren't that great. Um, some of them were really good and I couldn't use them because they didn't really fit the theme or, you know, whatever. Um, but I learned a lot. I learned as much from the process and from reading other people's stories, I think, as I, I learned from many things. So for me, it was a real learning experience. It certainly took a lot of time. And then I thought, okay, now that I've sort of got that, you know, they'll try to do the second one. So I did that Heartbreaks and Half-Truths. And uh, that, that one was easier. And so then I sort of thought, well, I'll do the third one. So I did the third one. The third one really took a lot out of me. And I and that was published. That was uh, Moonlight Misadventure. That was published in June of 2021. And I decided to take a break. And actually, I remember saying to my husband, if I decide to do another one of these, like, you know, like tie me up to a chair and don't let me do it. But but it's it it keeps calling to me, right? I love the short story format crime fiction format. I, I, I'm not particularly, it's not my strong suit. I'd rather write a book than a short story. I just find really writing a really good short story is such a, a difficult uh, task and it really requires great craftsmanship. And, uh, and so um, anyway, I just, it, I, I was like, if I can think of a theme that would maybe be sort of you know, something that would, would speak to me, then okay. And then nothing came to me, nothing came to me, nothing came to me. And then one day I was sitting there and I thought, larceny and last chances. I love the alliteration, right? You know, moonlight and misadventure, heartbreaks and half-truths. I love that. So, yeah, just flog it. Um, but anyways, I, I liked that. And so I thought, okay, I'll do it. But this time I'll do it a little differently. So one of the differences I instead of just sort of having an open period and whatever comes in, comes in, I'm, I've actually um, said at 80 submissions, it's done. I'm done because I can only take 
19 or 20, which means I can only take 25%. And so, you know, I, I, if I get a hundred, I, I, you know, I'm reducing those odds and reducing those odds. Uh, so I'm, and I'm, and also I'm hopeful that by doing that, and I'm sure you found this, Eric, that um, if the, the, the deadline is February 1st, you know, like 25% of the stories come on, you know, January 31st, and then suddenly here I am having to read 25 stories. So I'm thinking if I have an account deadline, then maybe that will encourage people to not sort of wait until the last possible second. Um, we'll see if that works or not, but that's something I found is, and honestly, people out there, don't do that. <laughs> don't be the last minute person because you know what? You really are doing yourself a disservice because by the time that last couple of days, because I read the stories, not as they come in, but basically once a week, I'll devote a full day to reading whatever's come in the week before. And so I've pretty much got my, my long list done by, you know, two days before the deadline. So you've got to be really, really phenomenal for me to consider you because I've already sort of thought, you know, these are the stories I'm going to want to put in. So unless your story really knocks it out of the park, you know, you're really hurting yourself. I That's not me. Now, I, I, other editors may work differently and publishers. I don't know. Some wait until till everything's in and then read them all. But I I find that's just too much work. Excellent. Um, well, let's end with Crime Writers of Canada. An organization like Crime Writers of Canada uh, doesn't exist without a, a very efficient board. Uh, the organization uh, owes a great deal of gratitude to you because you helped us get through COVID. But is it a two-way um, a two-way relationship? The organization benefits from you as a board member, but do you as a board member also benefit from being in your position? Yeah, so absolutely. So one of the things I mentioned in both the uh, publishing books is that you should A, belong to at least one association related to your field, whether it be crime or romance or sci-fi. Um, and you should look into volunteer opportunities because they do exist and they can really help you um, along the way. So like prior, just to give you a little bit, so prior to Crime Matters of Canada, for example, um, when BoucherCon was coming to Toronto, I, I was on the BoucherCon volunteer committee, and one of my roles was to be the anthology coordinator. In other words, take every story that came in and make sure it was blind and put it in a thing and send it to the judges and all that. And that experience, um, that volunteer experience actually ended up really helping me when it came time to do my own anthologies, right? So there was something that was a direct correlation. As far as Crimes of Canada, yeah, I, I uh, Vicky Delaney was the one that approached me back in, I would say, probably 2017 and um, said, would you be interested in joining as a regional rep? And I, I thought, I was shocked. I thought, wow, they want me? Like, I honestly, I never would have put my name forward because I would have thought it wasn't worthy. Um, you know, I wasn't anybody well known at all. At that time, I only had a couple books out. And they were to say to say they sold modestly would be you know putting a gloss on it. <laughs> so, uh, but I I found so much like not only did I learn a lot and meet a lot of authors and um, get get familiar with 
other worlds beyond my own um, publishing experience. But it also opened up doors. And, and especially when I became chair, that definitely changed a lot. Now, yes, it was a lot of work. I would say sometimes I felt like a full-time job, especially like when I said I was going to take over as chair, I never dreamed it would that COVID would hit. And like I would suddenly be faced with running an organization and nothing to do for these people that were members. Uh, so it was definitely a challenge. But it's, you know, it's opened the door, for instance, um, I have my my one book, Skeletons in the Attic, has been published in in Chinese and Mandarin, and uh, and that that was strictly because of uh, Crimeers of Canada. Uh, one of our members, Timo Lin, uh, was founding Crimeers of Taiwan, and he said, "Would you like to be interviewed for our inaugural magazine?" And I'm like, "Sure." So you know, I did, and he translated it all into Mandarin, and um, I guess when the publishers of that magazine read it they they said oh we you know we have a publishing company that might be interested in that that one book so that was really facilitated by the fact that like I would have never had that connection right without the crimes of Canada so you definitely um yeah I would I always say to people you know volunteer if you're going to a conference find a way to volunteer if you're going if you're you know if you belong to an association find a way to volunteer it it it's as much as or a little as you make it but um it really is important and these associations all of them require volunteers to to give you the benefits that you want right and with that you need so i you know and you'd be surprised you don't necessarily have to be a published author a lot of times like even crowners of canada we have associate members that have roles on our board. Um, they're non-voting, but they definitely have a say, a voice, and what can what can happen. So, um, yeah, and I, and also, especially if you're not published, because say you're looking for an agent. If you say I'm on the board of directors at Crimers of Canada, they know you're the real deal. They know that you're invested in your craft. You're not just you know some fly by night person. You're you're sincere about the business because it is a business. And so I think it really, it does benefit you as a, as an author to, to get involved and see what you can do. You just never know. Right. Excellent advice. Thank you very much. Well, Judy, it was a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I'm glad we were able to catch up and uh, I was um, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.